You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is Robert Radnati. Robert is someone who was born during the Hungarian Revolution, where English was his second language, and endured several hardships, uh, things like divorce and suicide, bipolar, depression, addictions with drugs and alcohol, and all of these things gave him a personal foundation to develop, transform, and reshape his professional life coaching techniques, uh, and that's what he does today. He's a successful life coach and strategist that's helped shape thousands of lives, athletes, and business organizations to improve their performance. He uses a methodology called hypnotherapy, and that was the center of conversation for our episode today. So with that, let's dive into the call. There's so much in this call that's really fascinating. It was a pleasure having Robert on. Let's get into it. Here I am with Robert Rednati. All right, I'm here with Robert Radnati. Rad Radnati? Did I say that? Or Radnati? <laughs> Radnati. I literally okay. just asked you how to pronounce it. How embarrassing is that? <laughs> um, and uh, and you just shared with me that that's Hungarian. Yes. Um, so um, that's kind of an interesting place to start. What, how old were you when you first came over? Well, um, I was born here, but my parents okay. came out during the revolution in 56. And actually, if you've got time, it's kind of a cool story because they were actually caught by the Russians three times and jailed. And they escaped from jail three times. And the last time they were within two miles of the border, my dad wanted to turn around, go back to Budapest. And my mom said she's going with or without them. And so they agreed to try one last time. And that last time they made it across the border. And then they spent six months in a former concentration camp in Austria because the Austrians didn't know what to do with the refugees. And finally, they got on boat um, to New York, and the U.S. slowed the boat down, so they had to stay in the middle of the Atlantic during the winter uh, because they wanted them to arrive on January 1st. So it was kind of a, a, a promotional propaganda kind of thing. And my dad was a, uh, uh, an accordion piano player, and he played mm -hmm. the piano on board of this boat to entertain the people because everyone was getting sick. The New York Times somehow found out about it. I don't know if they used Morse code back then or what, but they wrote a little <laughs> article in the New York Times and he had a long lost uncle in New York that read the, the story in the New York Times, came down to the boat and found them in amongst 5,000 people and took them home. And oh he was a hat maker, so they didn't have much money. The rich uncle lived in Las Vegas. He owned the Sahara Hotel uh, hair salon and so he put him on a train to Las Vegas. So I was born in Las Vegas. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is an interesting story. Yeah, you cruised past uh, several things there that uh, intrigued my mind, the, especially the escaping. Um, and then you said they were in uh, Austria and th they didn't know what to do with them and they put them in concentration camps. I mean, couldn't yeah, they you know, the former, former concentration camps still resided wow. and there were about 20,000 refugees that came out and that's where they housed them. And the only thing they had to eat, according to my parents, was American cheese, you know, that kind of orangey cheese. So yeah. to this day, um, my parents and, and myself, we can't eat that cheese because they got <laughs> sick of it. <laughs> uh, that's understandable. Um, any uh, harrowing stories on the escape side of things? Well, yeah. I mean, they were shot at. Um, they were, the last time they were in a river and my mom's leg was freezing and, uh, and just a lot of bad stuff happened, as you could very well imagine during war. For sure. I mean, it's amazing to me, the stories that come out of, and everybody has a story. And, and every yeah. single one of these is like the, the, the triumph of hu the human spirit to push through and to survive. And, and there's just so many of them, they get lost. So sometimes it's, 
it's good to hear uh, about those. But um, the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast, of course, we had a conversation a little bit earlier about what you've been up to lately. So for those that are listening, why don't you share a little bit about your journey and how you got into doing what you're doing now? Because when you told me that you hypnotized a dog, I was like, all right, we got to We got to talk. I want to hear more about this. That sounds crazy. Well, it, it's kind of interesting how hypnotherapy came out, uh, came to be right now. I'm having the time of my life. I've got like 50 clients worldwide now. Um, but I started out as a chemical engineer. I didn't really want to be a chemical engineer. I was just good at math. So they put me in engineering. I became a chemical engineer, worked for Big Bad Exxon for 18 years. And then I quit to become a track coach, first at a high school, Thousand Oaks High School, and then later at Pepperdine University. And um, unfortunately, we were kind of minimally funded and not scholarship. And we compete with UCLA, USC, the big time schools. And I wanted to beat them. And so uh, I started looking at how could I take my uh, sort of JV kind of recruits and, and be to UCLA and stumble upon uh, hypnotherapy and started working with a hypnotherapist here in Malibu and uh, learning. And then I decided I want to go learn some more about that and uh, went to check out, I think the number one hypnotherapy school in the world is called HMI in Encino. Uh, Joe Dispenza went there, Marissa Peer went there, a lot of, of kind of famous people. And I went there with the intent of helping my athletes run faster, which I did do. Um, but then I got involved with this whole other world of helping people with cancer and leukemia and fears and dogs barking and everything else. And it's just become a magical thing. And, you know, it reminds me of something that Tony always said, which is life is happening for you, not to you. Yes. And for those that aren't familiar with us crazy people in the Tony Robbins world, we refer to him in, as a first name, Tony. So it's Tony Robbins that you're talking about. Um, so let's break that down a little bit for those that aren't uh, familiar with what hypnotherapy is. Can you explain briefly what that is? Yeah, sure. You know, in, when your mind is first formed, when you're born, um, just a small sliver is, is developed and all it knows is fight or flight. But from about birth through about eight years old, you develop both your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. The conscious mind's only about 12% of your mind, and some research shows that it's as little as 5%, whereas your subconscious mind is 88 plus percent. And growing up um, from about Sorry, eight to about like, pure, Do yeah. you mean an actual mass of the brain, or do you mean in actual- No, that's the way I show it pictorially, but it's all yeah. kind of meshed in there. Okay. But um, from about eight to about puberty, 12, 13 years old, you develop a critical mind and it develops sort of what gets stored in your subconscious. And essentially we store all sorts of thousands of positive experiences and negative experiences in our subconscious and they impact the way that we show up. The best example I have is that growing up, my sister and I, we wanted to have a dog. My dad wouldn't let us have a dog. He didn't like him. He was afraid of him, whatever. And it wasn't until years later that we were in Budapest in Hungary and at a family reunion with his sister. And there was dogs running around. And I just kind of remarked, gosh, we never had dogs. Look at all these dogs. And she said, well, I know why. And I said, why? And she said, well, when your father was five years old, he was bitten by a dog. And that was one of those negative memories in his subconscious that he did not remember at all. And it impacted the way we show up. And so all hypnosis is, is allowing you to drop from your conscious mind into your subconscious and either strengthening those positive experiences, weakening or lessening or diminishing or eliminating those negative experiences or creating new experiences. And so it's become a very, very powerful tool for change. 
Yeah. It's amazing how much, I mean, that this to me is what I geek out on as well. So I'm really excited to be talking to you because this is, it drives all behavior. And most of us are walking around not knowing that there's somebody else in the driver's seat. Um, so, all right. So I gotta, I gotta know, how did you take G, these JV level athletes and have them compete with world-class collegiate athletes? Well, I don't know if we competed with world-class athletes. Well, I, I threw that in there for, uh, <laughs> for effect. <laughs> it was a little bit short-lived because it was about a year or so ago, we were at track meet and six of my, uh, men um, were brave enough to allow me to hypnotize them the day before a track meet um, in front of the whole group. I coached men and women and I hypnotized them. And it was amazing the way it worked because we actually do. And what they teach is an arm raising experience to start out with where you talk to them and their arm actually start raising and it just blows people away that it works. And it works almost every time unless someone really wants to resist. But we put and suggested into their subconscious that they're going to be nice and relaxed in the race. And when uh, you get to that critical zone that they're going to take off and all sorts of just little suggestions. And of course, everyone did set uh, some massive personal records that day. Hmm. Unfortunately, the next Monday, um, I got called into the office by my boss and said, you can't do that. <laughs> You're playing God. And uh, so that was the last time. The first time I did it, it was super successful. And uh, <laughs> I just know it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But God is helping us win. Come on. I mean, you know, <laughs> well, exactly. And, then, and I was at a Christian, <laughs> a Christian school. So there's only one God there. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because I, part of my upbringing um, was religious as well. And there's, there's a lot of fear around uh, hypnotherapy or hypnosis. Um, and also maybe rightly so that, yeah, there are people that, um, that use this in ways either intentionally for good reasons or in malicious ways to, to influence the subconscious and, and direct behavior. It's, it's something that I've learned a little, a lot more about in um, my marketing and psychological training that I've gone through with the personal development stuff. But um, so I can understand a little bit of the, the pushback there. Um, and yet it's funny too, because at the same time you're like, yeah, but that's your subconscious talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's quite ironic. Um, so I, I just want to dispel one thing real quick, because I think some people think of hypnotherapy as uh, entertaining hypnosis. They've seen the, that that's the one thing that they've seen, you know, the, the magician or the, the hypnosis that entertains a crowd and they put people under and they act like chickens or whatever. Um, so can you, can you give us a little bit of a, a better understanding of what genuine hypnotherapy is and does? Yeah. And that's called stage hypnosis. And that's not what we do at all. You know, there's a, a very strong code of, of ethics for hypnotherapists. There's a union. I'm actually a union member and there's laws written to govern um, you know, what we can and can't do. And I always start out with that. I can't make you do anything that you don't want to do. And essentially the first part of a, a session is just an interviewing and, and counseling session where I'm just writing down words and phrases directly from the client. And those are the words and phrases that I suggest back into their subconscious. Cause that's really what it is. It's, it, I first give a suggestibility test, which determines which kind of tools and techniques I'll use in order to get them into hypnosis. And then literally, I'm just serving the client. And, you know, I think that it, you know, someone could, I suppose, um, use it in uh, malicious ways. 
Although it'd be really hard to do because really you can't do that unless the, the client really wants to. So for example, with smoking cessation, if someone really wants to stop smoking, hypnotherapy is, is the, the way to go. It has the highest success rate. But if they don't really want to stop, they just kind of, their friends want them to, or parents or kids or whatever, they won't do it. So you can't make anyone do something they don't want to do. What about when it comes to um, <clears throat> a lot, you know, politics or um, big corporate uh, marketing campaigns? You know, we drive by McDonald's and the kids go, oh, we want to go to McDonald's. So isn't that um, directing behavior? Isn't that channeling in, in ways that maybe people, quote unquote, don't want to? It, it, it for sure is. It for sure is. You know, like on uh, Back to the Future or something like that, Coke or Pepsi will pay millions of dollars to have Michael J. Fox holding up a can. And that subliminal message kind of gets through. Now, there are laws that were enacted, I think, in the 60s and 70s kind of against that, where they were putting, inserting into a commercial, you know, a scene and somehow you wouldn't see it, but you would see it. So those yeah, kind of things are illegal, but it is marketing. And, uh, you know, that's how marketing kind of works in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, just the suggestibility. There's a, a great book. I'm sure you've read it. Robert Cialdini, uh, his book on influence. And yep. um, somebody broke this down for me in a way that I felt was really helpful because, and I've heard this too from a lot of people who, are, who learn sales because you learn the techniques of how to influence behavior. And a lot of people really struggle with that because they feel like it's manipulative. But someone shared with me one time that manipulation is from the shadows. It, it's trying to steer people into a direction that they, are may, that they may or may not be aware of for your own benefit. Whereas influence is laid out in front of you. Hey, we're we're here and we're trying to go here and I'm going to do everything I can to influence you. And the example that they gave, they said, look, if somebody was an alcoholic, you would go to them and you might go to them and say, Hey, let's, let's help you out. Let's get you over here where you're sober. That's, that's positive influence where you're trying to influence somebody's behavior. You might even use manipulation where you've seen those intervention shows where they get people in to, to change behavior, but that would be a way, you know, that would be trying to influence somebody's behavior from the shadows. So these are just some thoughts I wanted to share because it was helpful for me to better understand this. The other thing too that was really helpful was understanding that whether or not we like it, we're all under some type of hypnosis. Um, the example this person gave me was when you drive home from work, uh, yeah, this is maybe the standard example that people give because you're not in your head. Uh, well, why don't you give it? Well, <laughs> well, you're in um, hypnosis several times during the day. When you first wake up in the morning, right before you go to sleep, when you're driving, when you're at a movie theater or TV show, you go into that place where you sort of zone out. You're the most suggestible. And that's you know where people can take advantage of it from a marketing commercial side, or you can do it to serve yourself, which is what I, I do as a hypnotherapist. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned before about the suggestibility test. What, yeah. What are you looking for there and what are you testing? Well, there's two tests. One of them is a physical test where you hold up your hand and I just watch for your fingers to spread. It has to do with electrical charges. And then there's a, a verbal test, which is yes or no type questions um, that help me know whether you're what we call a physical suggestible or emotional suggestible. Those words aren't necessarily indicative of what they mean but they indicate what processes I'm going to use. So whether someone is more um, visual or whether they're emotional, um, not emotional, more feelings. 
And so when I go into a hypnotic state, a physical person, I can use more imagery and place people into, for example, into a healthy body that's no longer a smoker. Whereas if they're an emotional, it has to do with that feeling of freedom and you know being out in nature and things like that. So that's primarily what it involves. Mm. Um. Oh, you had mentioned something about the the suggestibility test that I wanted to ask you, and it slipped my mind because I was thinking about my next question as well, which was um, your reference to Joe Dispenza. Um, yep. He's for a lot of people, he's he's one of the top uh, thought leaders in this space. He's got oops, my Apple Watch thinks I'm talking to it. Hang on one second. <laughs> Speaking of always listening, you know that that's it's funny how computers and AI sort of mimic. Our, our own brains in that way. Um, so anyway, um, with Joe Dispenza, I'm fascinated to hear a little bit more. You've obviously worked a little bit directly with him, correct? You went through his training or what was the, what was Well, my first, my first react interaction was I read three of his books, which I thought were just brilliant. I have long wanted to learn about quantum physics of the brain. He explains it in a way that just made hmm. sense to me. And then uh, during my Tony Robbins platinum year, our adventure trip was to New Zealand and uh, Dr. Joe came with us. And so there was only about a hundred of us there or so. And uh, um, he was there. He did uh, a couple of sessions with us and uh, was kind of a participant uh, somewhat. And so we got to know him a little bit there. And then just this past January, I went to Dubai to his seven day uh, advanced retreat. And that was just simply mind blowing and uh so? I, i'm vibrating at a different level now in the fifth dimension <laughs> i no can longer tell in this third dimension <laughs> <laughs> i could tell how how in which ways was it mind-blowing well um he teaches and it, you know he doesn't call them chakras he calls them energy centers but he teaches you how to breathe so you can breathe and take it all the way up to what he calls the pineal gland which is at the base of your brain and that that once you can hit that and it's like a, a crazy wild way that he gets you there but then he says that you can turn on your electromagnetic force around you most people call that law of attraction i i i now just kind of see it so differently in that you turn on this electromagnetic force around you because of your vibrational level and then magic starts to happen in your life and literally that's how my life has become and i can't believe how magical it is right now. So one of the things that's really enticing and appealing about um, Dr. Dispenza is the science that he points to, to, to validate a lot of his claims and, and, and uh, philosophy, et cetera. Um, That, so some of the things that you just said 10 years ago, I would have heard that and been like, that sounds crazy. Electromagnetic magnetic field. What the heck are you talking about? But there's a real real data, real science behind this, right? I mean, we know that there's, your, your heart has an electrical impulse to, to pump, right? Um, yeah. Oftentimes in his, his workshops, he actually has people connected up to some special devices that he's, he's created, invented to measure your vibrational levels and your magnetic force. And uh, he's using it really, really effectively to share with people. Um, can you think of... Uh, like what was the biggest takeaway that you had in that Dubai conference? Um, well, I guess it was just recognition what I think has been happening to me over the last five years. 
where I've really gone deep into the personal development world with Tony Robbins, with Joe Dispenza, with a, a River and Diamond, you know, several different things. Once you get in it, you know, it just becomes mushroom thing. And, you know, in, in the Tony worlds, you yell and scream it into yourself. And he says there's three levels of learning, that cognitive, the emotional, and the third one is that physical level where it just is you. And what, it, what dawned on me with, with Dr. Joe talking about the science is all of a sudden the aha was I understand this repetition of the fact that I go so often and have really just um, embraced this whole world, I think that physically, I'm now there, I'm vibrating at that place where that electromagnetic force, I could actually feel and actually I can see in people now, you know, people would call that an aura, but mm -hmm. that science that he showed all of a sudden sort of validated to me and things became clearer for me. Mm. You're, when you say that you could see that, you're not talking about physically seeing it with your eyes, right? You're talking about an, an intuition, like you're connected to the, the physical manifestation of the person's... Um, <laughs> it's kind of in between there, honestly. Okay. It, I, I actually kind of physically see things around people now that have and are vibrating at a different level of energy. It's not like it's, it's blue or orange or a color, right. um, which I've done some of that. Uh, you know, they've got these special cameras where you could actually see that. But it, so it's partly sensing it, but I actually see something. It's sort of invisible seeing it. So it, it mm -hmm. probably doesn't make sense. I could just tell you that I'm actually physically seeing something there. Mm. Um, I can kind of connect to that. I mean, I've, have you done any work with animals or like, like uh, I went to a equestrian leadership oh, program yeah, yeah. or a class and, and the ability for a horse to read energy is, was mind blowing to me. I haven't done any of that kind of work. I, I've got a friend that does that. Jan in Florida does that. Um, so I haven't done that, but I certainly, you, you start developing, you know, beliefs or just understanding that you're, there's more to the mind that we know. You know, I grew up as an engineer that, you know, there's fixed things. And I guess the more I learn, the more I know I don't know and I want to know. And then I think the next frontier is not drugs or surgeries, but it's the mind. How did you, as an engineer with, with an engineer mind, uh, we talked about those three levels, the cognitive, the emotional, and the, the full embodiment. How did you um, reconcile the engineer part of your brain to, to go into that emotional, irrational, non-logical space of human development? I guess it's, it's with experience and seeing and trying things. So, um, you know, first started very early on. Exxon is actually really good with personal development. They bring in a lot of programs. Mm -hmm. And the first one they brought in was something called Investment in Excellence. And it was uh, um, a, a really wonderful affirmation process. It's not like most people teach, but it had to do with what happens and the feelings associated with. And I remember we wrote out um, these three by five cards and you would read it, you know, in the morning at night, obviously, because that's when you're in hypnotic state. And I made, I remember I made 57 goals. And to this date, until last year, I had 56 of them 
completed. The only one I had was to write a book, and I just finished that a little bit ago. But even when I was a 25-year-old engineer, I set a goal to be a college track and field head coach. I had no business doing that. I don't know that anyone ever went from being an engineer to a head coach at a Division I college in, in kind of like that. And I did it. And I really attribute it to that investment in excellence program and following that. And it just opened up my mind. And then everything that came about, I just said, I want to do that. 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 And it's just kind of exponential growth now. Um, are you willing to share some of the, the, the achievements that you've had? Uh, you were telling me sort of where you're living now and, and how that went from a thought to a reality relatively quickly. I mean, that, that to me is fascinating because it, speaks into how we achieve our dreams. Yeah, I, I, I live kind of close to the beach here in Malibu, California. And I, I've been, since this pandemic hit, I've been running on the beach every day. And I'm just kind of imagining, visualizing, dreaming of owning one of these, these homes here. And, and literally there's like 20 movie stars that live in this two mile um, area. And as I was coming back, there was this one balcony. It's a smaller home, kind of a not as nice as the multi-million dollar homes. And there were people on it. I go, man, if I could just live there. And so I finished my run and I knew the owner of the place. And I just texted him and said, you know, if those people ever move out, you know, I might be interested in it. Knowing that it was way too expensive, way out of my league, way everything. And he sent back a note saying, no, those people are there for, for the duration. Um, I, don't, I don't know. They're not going to leave. A um, week later, I just kept kind of thinking about this, going, man, I'd love to live there. I'd love to live there. I'd love to live there. He sends me a note saying they just moved to Mexico. I mean, like, they just left everything, and they left the country. And he goes, we got to clean everything up. We got to throw everything out. We'll clean it up. You want to take a look at it? Um, come on over in one week. So I went over there. I, I negotiated a, a price kind of down and now I'm living the life here and literally the beach is like 10 feet away from us. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it's, it, this is, it kind of reminds me of the, the movie, the secret and the book, the secret. Yep. Um, yep. It, it, is that, is it the, that, or I, is it, you know, something? I think it is that I think all <laughs> of this is that it's what Dr. Joe teaches. It's what hypnotherapy is, you know, yeah. all these different processes. Why, by the way, hypnotherapy is actually an, an umbrella term for about 50 different kind of modalities like NLP, like tapping, like all sorts of different things. So mm -hmm. we have a, a, a really nice toolbox, but I think it's all the same. It's getting into your subconscious, it's turning on that electromagnetic force or law of attraction, and then magic happens. And you, know, you ask why or, or how did I move from an engineer to that? It is, I have so much evidence now that I'm just a believer. And then once you have that belief, then you can work with people because they sense and feel the belief and, and almost the knowingness that you have that you can will things to happen. Just like last week, I was telling you about a dog that was barking. And this is a client in Australia that I'm working with who actually has cancer. And, uh, you know, I'm helping her through that. She, she talked about the dog and I said, bring them up. We hypnotized the dog. The next day she reported, dog's not barking. It's just, how does that happen? I don't how really does that know happen? how it happens other than it's just incredible. All right. So uh, are you literally saying, I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And I, your belief in, in the certainty that it would and, and will happen in that moment is what impacted and changed the behavior of the dog? 
I think that that's a huge part of it. I think that that was a huge learning that I actually was reinforced this morning and Saturday morning, I'm in, in this uh, MLM called Savvy and a friend of mine was talking about something all of a sudden just popped into my head going like the belief is actually the most important part. Mm. Not even the tools, not even the words, not even the script. It's mm. almost that belief. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it kind of reminds me of those times where you think of an old friend or something like that out of nowhere. And the next thing you know, the next day or the next or the same day or within the hour, they text you or call you, hey, just we haven't connected in a while. Like, and it's, it, it happens enough, the older I get to where you're like, all right, wait a second. Is there something really going on here? Um, Napoleon Hill talks about in his book, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. Um, and I was just sharing this with a friend of mine, the, the definite of purpose and the clarity of what you want. What is the outcome that you want? So you know where you're going. You have a, a specific vision. I think about your example with the house. Yep. You literally were pointing out the house saying, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to live. And you probably had a very emotional definite of purpose or what Napoleon Hill would call a definite of purpose. Um, and then magic happens. That's, it's, it's wild to think about. <laughs> it is wild. And, and, you know, I think about my engineering days, they're so far gone. And, and then to, to come to this place, you know, I, I've got an example where I, I've got a friend and we found these, these sort of triangle shells on the beach and, and she lives like three hours away. And she said, um, I'm going to just allow you to find one of those a day for the next week. I'm going to, she's really into kind of, she thinks she's a star seed and, and can just make things happen. And literally, and I've never seen this in five years. I've never seen these shells over the last seven days running on my beach every single day, including today, I found one of those, those shells. I, I don't, I can't explain it other than she told me she's going to place it there going into the fifth dimension and I'm going to find it on the beach. All right. Um, you've mentioned fifth dimension a couple of times. What are the, what are the dimensions? I mean, we know the three dimensions, but what are the three dimensions? Um, well, this is from Dr. Joe. Um, the fifth dimension is when there's no, no time, no space, nothing, uh, there's five like no's. So like nothing exists, no lack. And when you get to that place, magic happens. And that's what he does in his, uh, his meditations. His, uh, yeah, I've, I've never meditated before. And in Dubai, the last two days, we did five hour meditation starting at 4 a.m. I can't even sit for that long. And literally they went like that. And not that I've ever had an LSD trip, but that's how it was. I was and just going to ask you if drugs were coolest thing. <laughs> I've never done any drugs. I'm, I'm like the cleanest guy there is, the straightest guy <laughs> there is. But these, these meditations, hitting that pineal gland, it takes you to woo-woo. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think we've all experienced to some degree that, that sense of losing time and, whoa, you know, what happened? You meet someone new and you have a connection with them and you talk for four hours and it felt like 15 minutes and that kind yeah. of thing. Um, I'm, I would love to like, my, my desire is to make it tangible. Like I want to sink my teeth into it a little bit, put my finger on it. You mentioned before about the quantum physics of the brain and that, and that um, Joe speaks a lot about that as well. Is there, do you have any more 
knowledge or understanding of the data and how the how all of this stuff works? I mean, even on a quantum level, is there some type of explanation? You know, um, I wish I remembered that. And I was fearing that question. I wanted to go back and and read the book (laughs) because I remember when I read it, it just was so crystal clear. And then I would share that with with friends and everyone that would listen. But right now I'm a little bit away from that where I just simply don't remember it other than go read his book. I'm not your placebo or you are the placebo. And one of those books, it's just written in common day language, which it just makes sense. Yeah, his videos are are really compelling because it just makes sense. Like you, it, it sounds out there, but then when he explains, you're like, no, yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, and all you have to do is try it. Mm-hmm. I mean, all you have to do is try it. And, and you asked earlier, you know, how do you to move from an engineering mind to this kind of mind? Is you try it and see if stuff happens, and that's what's happened. I'm in in that flow. Love that. Um, what are some of the things, what are some of the problems that people have when they come to you for help? Oh, wow. Right now, well, I've got this one person that I actually met in Dubai who has cancer. And uh, she went to Dr. Joe, given up on, on doctors, just doesn't want that treatment. And I'm helping her with pain management and outlook on life and things like that. And she says she's never felt better ever in her life. A lot of anxieties right now um, in society around the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and everything associated with that. There's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of relationship issues. You know, most things go boil down to, I'm not worthy, I'm not enough. So it's, uh, as you probably know, it's just a huge area. Even when you're super successful, that just creeps in and limits us you know, wherever we are in the spectrum. It's just such a limiting belief for, for most people because of that 2 million year old brain that only knows fight or flight. And, mm-hmm. you know, personal development in a lot of ways is just simply attacking that 12 million year old brain. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about uh, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety right now with the uh, Corona pandemic, um, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, what are some words of wisdom or, or how would you work through that if somebody came and they just said, I'm struggling. I, I I'm fearful for my kids. I not sure if I'm going to have my job any much longer. Where would you start with them? I mean, you talked about the suggestibility test, but how would you work through that? Well, um, the suggestibility test is just to know which tools to put them into hypnosis. Then I put them into hypnosis. And then depending on the specifics of the situation, I usually in the first session create an image of a, a special place that they might go. So Peter's special place might be at the beach. And at the beach, yep. you would meet Peter of your future. And Peter of your future is going to tell you some things about what's going to happen in your future. And then oftentimes I have them go to the beach and look out into the water. And all of a sudden they start to see a bottle and a bottle's floating toward them and it's got a cork in it and it's got a message in it and eventually comes to them and they open it up. They open up the cork and pull out a piece of paper and it's a message from their subconscious. And I set it up in such a way that it's a very powerful exercise. Then I actually then have them go sit on a beach and uh, it, again, uh, using all five senses to make it real within the subconscious. And then I'll have a wise person, a wise man or a wise woman come to sit with them 
and give them some suggestions from themselves. And then we anchor it in at the end and then bring them out of hypnosis. And it's just such a super powerful experience for everyone that I've been working with. Wow. Um, some of that reminded me of Joseph Campbell's work and the mythology and understanding dreams and the subconscious um, manifesting in dreams. And uh, what have you, do you know much about him? And I, I don't know a lot work? about him. I, I studied Edgar Casey, And again, dream therapy is one of the 50 uh, um, portions of hypnotherapy um, that we do. And um, I'm super into dreams. And in you know, the way they teach us, there's three stages of dreaming. The last stage is the most important. It's called the venting phase. And that's where we vent out the message units. So the next day that uh, um, we could um, um, have the full complement of message units or like in a in computer terms, bits, so that we can function well. That's kind of one of the reasons why seven, eight hours of sleep is really important. Um, the middle phase of dreaming is precognitive. It's actually fairly predictive, um, although we don't really remember a lot of those. But you can actually train yourself and through self-hypnosis to actually remember more and more dreams and to have vivid dreams. And uh, it, it's powerful techniques that I use. Mm. Um, yeah, some people have tapped into, I guess it's called lucid dreaming. Where lucid they, dreams, yeah. I do that too. Aware. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that something you trained yourself to do? Uh huh. Yep. I studied that. There's, I can't remember the book right now, but there's a really good book by some uh, professors up at Stanford that did a lot of research in this area. And then I did the exercises and, and started having lucid dreams. And I, I, that's how I can go to sleep because I know that my dreams are going to be magical and fun I, I rarely ever have a bad one it's kind of like oh that is cool let's go back what are you doing in your dreams robert <laughs> <laughs> well they're 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 uh, you know, that was when in my younger days but now they're uh, they're just fun i mean they connect you know someone from kindergarten will be here with someone that i met at pepperdine will be here someone in the future we might be on the moon we might be flying it's kind of james bondish without violence they're just fun yeah well, and, and in a way, you're sort of, quote unquote, living the dream too. So wake or asleep, I mean, it, 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 no wonder you're vibrating so high. Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, so you mentioned the woman that had uh, cancer. What are some of the other things that people, um, do you have any like case studies or um, just to give an example, another example of how somebody can work through their problems? I'm just wanting to get a better sense of... Um, you know, just other problems that people have that gets well. Yeah, you know, right now, uh, you know, the biggest one, um, the two biggest things are relationships and um, businesses or the economy. And in in both of them, I'm building up people's esteem and belief in themselves, self love, self confidence. You know, we always hear this, and I didn't know what this meant before. You just need to go love yourself. And you know, I don't I don't know what that kind of really means, other than I use the whole Pono prayer. I love you. Thank you. I love you. Thank you quite a bit. I actually do that in, in uh, hypnosis. Um, but in, in both cases, I have been just working on self-worth. Um, you're enough. Um, and I, I've got a, here's a, here's a good uh, example. I've got a, a gentleman in North Carolina. He's near homeless. And he came to me probably two months ago his presenting, initial presenting issue was his wife is cheating on him with his best friend. Usually the first thing that they bring is not the real thing. 
but he hasn't worked since 2018. Um, he doesn't have any food to eat. Um, he goes to the food bank for one meal a day, then drinks a gallon of water just so that his stomach is full. Um, he doesn't have a car. Um, his phone, he barely has voice. He doesn't have um, um, any data, so he can't actually apply for any jobs because he walks to places to try to get a job. They don't have paper applications any longer. He has to do it online. He can't do it. And so you know, I was really going like, whoa, what am I going to literally... Oh, and he's got partial cerebral palsy too. I mean, like, I don't know what else could go on with this. And I just started working on his self-worth, his self-love, got him to, to start walking. So he walks to the stop sign and back. And he started doing 15 minutes of crossword puzzles a day. Last week, he told me, said, Robert, I got a job. It's an hour and a half away, but I got enough gas to go there. The next day, a friend of mine that gave up on me two years ago called me out of the blue. He said his mom just passed away, and at the funeral, he learned how helpful she was to other people, and he, and he recognized in himself that he hadn't been, and he hadn't been a good friend to this guy. So he said, what do you need? And the guy said, I, I need just a tank full of gas so I could go try to find a job. And he said, how much that'll cost? And he said, 50 bucks. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 200 bucks so that you can fill up your car four times and he's found another job. His wife, ex-wife, whatever she is, has stopped the affair. He's still in love with her. He's trying to woo her back. And I'm kind of cheating him on that. But his life has become sort of moving upward. He's vibrating a different place. If I didn't do anything else in this whole world, just this man's progress in two years made it worthwhile to me. Yeah, that and it, once you get that momentum, and once people feel a, a taste of oh wow, um, bringing a higher level of conscious consciousness, a deeper sense of love for myself, uh, I have more patience with others. I'm not as quick to react. I'm not as angry. There's not therefore there's not as much stress in my body. I'm not tight, which has a has a profound impact on your ability to function and then your body's feeling better so you're feeling looser it's it's a such a compounding effect yeah um where does if you don't mind me asking you and you can we can talk about this offline if you want but where does your spirituality connect with this how does this all align for you well you know that's kind of an interesting question i am christian i believe in in god and i believe in in jesus and that he died for our sins and um I don't know that I've resurrected how this all works other than maybe God has given me, you know, the, the tools and the knowledge to be able to do what I'm doing right now. Um, it, it's a funny place right now because a lot of my friends in this world aren't necessarily Christians and actually most of them aren't. And so I'm at a funny place where I still pray to God every day and uh, write out my prayers and uh, that's just what my beliefs. I just choose to believe that. Yeah. Is uh, are the prayers? Um, how are they different ultimately than from what we were talking about earlier about the definite of purpose and and having an outcome? Um, I I don't know that they're that different because they 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 kind of vary depending on, on what I'm doing. I, I have a, a process called morning pages where every morning I get up and write three pages. It's from The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron to stimulate the creativity, uh, which if, if you know about that, that's kind of a cool thing too. I started that two years ago. 
Yeah. And since since I did that process, I bought myself an electric guitar and started guitar lessons. Never played a musical that's instrument because so awesome. I want to play Freebird by Leonard Skinner before I die. Uh, I started awesome. painting classes at the community college. I wish they still had them. And then I started uh, um, writing uh, books, and now I've got seven of them in the uh, in progress. So. Um, they come in different ways and shapes and forms. And sometimes I'm judging myself going, well, I shouldn't be asking for something for me. I should be praying for others. And then I, so I go all sorts of different ways on that. I don't have a, a set way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to me that um, you probably were born with the gift of that engineer mind and thinking very um, practically and, and uh, meticulously about details and things like that. But then to have tapped into the creative side of you, because I, I've seen a lot of people struggle with that. And, and that mindset is, is amazing in certain ways. And they're, you know, they're able to have incredible discipline and achieve goals, you know, in ways that I'm still working on. Uh, and, but then there's that creative energy that doesn't get um, fulfilled. And so it's, it's really remarkable that you've been able to achieve both, which is a really cool. Well, you can develop that. That's, you can develop that. That's what Julia says is that, you know, most of us have this creative artist within us that was taken out of us when we were a child, because someone said someone, someone typically a parent or a teacher. And I really specifically remember in third grade class, we had to write a little paragraph about how we would end the Vietnam war. Hope no one takes offense at this. I was a silly little kid and I just said, we just drop an atom bomb on it oh boy. and the war would be over. I mean, I feel really bad about that. I'm just being honest. Yeah. And she destroyed me in that class because of that. I mean, she had tears and I felt so small. Literally, mm -hmm. I couldn't write another sentence most of my life mm -hmm. because of that. And I tribute, it, bring it back to that. Now I was a, silly little smart aleck kid saying that and I actually wasn't a silly I just in that moment I said something really stupid that I wish I could just suck back in fact that's something I've learned recently you say something stupid as you go <laughs> it doesn't count I wish I had that 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 back then but it it shut down my writing ability and now I'm rediscovering it and finding that I'm actually a pretty good writer hmm. So you can, you can do things to change your life. It doesn't have to be that way. My dad was an engineer, but my mom was an artist. And so, you know, we have a combination of both of our parents and the whole environment that we're in and then the mind that we choose to create. And we can create whatever we want to create. That's what I believe. What um, thoughts, advice, uh, recommendations do you have for parents uh, who have younger kids knowing full well that they're developing and that there's probably going to be those incidences where they come up with those um, traumatic conclusions about themselves. Cause at that age, it is traumatic. Um, do you have any advice or recommendations for parents? Well, I think every family should have this rule where if anyone says something stupid, they could just suck back. <laughs> and everyone knows that when that happens, it's as if it's a blank slate. It didn't happen. But Beyond that, I think that just the own personal development of each person is so important because as you become a better human, you treat other people better. 
the, the way to start that is by treating yourself better. When we treat ourselves better, we treat other people better. And it always kind of just boils down to that. So I've learned that the hard way because I wasn't this way for most of my life. And my kids kind of look at me now and go like, dad, I mean, like, uh, we don't get you, you know, are you like happy every day now? Because you are miserable in our lives growing up. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot, dad. <laughs> um, we talked uh, briefly before and you had offered to maybe go do a, a little sample hypnotherapy. Is that something that you're willing to walk me through? You mean right now? Yeah. Um, that would probably take uh, at least a half hour to 45 minutes. Oh, shoot. Should yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard to do that. I could do it, you know, privately for you. If you want to do another session, we could do that. You could uh, videotape it. Um, but it'd be kind of hard to do now, I think, because you're limited time. Gotcha. Um, well, that was what I was thinking for the last 15 minutes. But uh, tell me, <laughs> uh, I, 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 to me, the stories of the transformation are some of the most um, powerful um, examples of uh, of how to apply this. Um, and some of your experiences with uh, going out to Dubai, Oh, you know what? One of the questions I had earlier about was what was the, what was the, how did you get into this in the first place? You talked about um, at, at college, uh, you became the triath, um, the track coach, sorry. Um, and that was, th that was how you got into hypnotherapy. Is that correct? Well, actually, uh, if I think about it, there was a friend here that lived near me that kind of knew I was into like the Tony Robbins world and all those things and, and said, hey, I've been going to this hypnotherapist here in Malibu. You ought to try it out. So I go, oh, that's kind of cool. I actually was a participant in one of those stage um, hypnotherapy uh, um, programs. Actually, it was at an Exxon Christmas party. They had a uh, hypnotherapist. And I, I really wanted to be hypnotized. So they start out with 20 people and they kind of narrow it down to four people. And I was one of the four, two men and two women. And, you know, you, they start doing whatever they're doing. What I just remember is when he actually went to hypnotize me, he kind of grabbed me and went to the side of my head. And he said, just go along with it. And, you know, that's when I go, okay, this is a bunch of BS and nothing's working. But I went along with it just to play. And it was kind of funny because, um, he had uh, the two guys, he held us, had us have a bird in our hand. And the other guy, I was just a young engineer. The other guy was this big manager guy, you know, kind of intimidating. And so he had this bird. I could see it in my eyes. He's like petting it like this. So I got my bird and I was petting it like this. Like I had the bigger bird because <laughs> I'm the young engineer. And then he had us, um, had the bird crap all over. So I'm jumping all over the place. And then he brought us out of hypnosis. Um, and then afterwards, everyone's coming up to me and asking me like, you know, do you know what you did? And I go, no, nah, it didn't work. It didn't work. And I just played along with it the whole time. <laughs> and people thought that it had really worked. But that was my first exposure to stage hypnosis. And then uh, anyway, I ended up going to this one in Malibu. Her name is Barbara Carey. She's just fantastic. And has literally become truthfully a, a life coach to me, um, better than uh, most of the life. I shouldn't say that. Um, equally good as some of the other life coaches that I have. And the more I thought about it and worked with her, 
the more I thought, gosh, this would be just perfect for my athletes. In fact, I wanted some of my athletes to go there, but it's kind of expensive to go. And, uh, you know, the kids don't have any money in college. And, and so I decided I'm going to go learn it for myself and uh, try that. So it was just something kind of clicked like that. Oh, that makes sense. Um, you had mentioned that a lot of the problems that people have are relationship oriented. What are some of the common problems that people have with relationships? Well, the common problem is for a bunch of clients, it's women in their mid thirties approaching forties that their biological clock is ticking and they want to have a family and they don't have a man yet. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of in a relationship maybe where they've settled, but they know that they don't really love them, but they want a baby really badly mm -hmm. or they don't have anyone or they're going through a series of people and they're, they're wanting to figure out how do I actually attract that person? The other is a little bit older, maybe in their forties or fifties or even older kind of, they've been married for a long time and there's no passion there's, you know, nothing kind of, they're just going through their roommates at best, their roommates. And oftentimes they just have separate lives and just wondering, what do I do? You know, do I stay? How do I make the best of it? And you know, those are probably the, the common things that are going on. Either I want a relationship or I'm in one and it sucks. Yeah. How do you, how do you begin to resolve the, the settled one, the one where they've been together forever and lost the spark? Well, one of the things, I, I use a lot of the information that we've learned in, in the Tony world, again, from Alison Armstrong and David Data and what Tony teaches. So I do that in kind of that beginning part. And then I just, again, I'm listening for the client. What do they want to do? And so they actually kind of know what they want to do. And then I just put that into their suggestions. Um, and, and we've made some really nice progress in those areas. Um, it's, it's really such a pleasure and joy to then participate in that and see people's lives become um, a little bit happier. Mm -hmm. Do you see a common thread with the women that you're talking about, the other, the mid 30 year old woman who's looking to find a lifelong partner? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, the common thread honestly, is they're amazing women. And it's not like they're not attractive physically or emotionally. They're really just beautiful souls. And I think it's just that they have limited themselves, maybe because of experiences. And so truthfully, with them, it's, it's building up their own self-love and getting rid of a lot of those limiting things because I think they attract the wrong guy into their life because of what their beliefs are. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's always working on those beliefs. Yeah. Uh, one of the beliefs you hear a lot is where are all the good men? And so I can imagine if a woman's walking around and that belief is playing over and over and over, where's all the good men, where's all the good men, her, and that's a subconscious sort of looping soundtrack in her, in her thought that's going to manifest itself as well, there's no good men. And therefore, you know, that yeah, well, with, with all the, almost all women, I have them read <laughs> Alison Armstrong's keys to the kingdom and then yeah. queen's code. And it is such an aha for women yes. uh, when they start figuring out that they were um, frog farmers and yeah. 
then they start realizing the things that they actually need to change in themselves. And then those become the fruit, the suggestions we could then put into their subconscious through hypnosis. So it becomes really a valuable tool. So it, part of that is that teaching counseling and they got to want to do it. And most people do and, and will invest the time into it. Mm -hmm. What, what excites you the most about hypnotherapy? Um, you know, I guess it's the joy and the, the, just the growth that people are having to having a better life. You know, one of my uh, uh, top two human needs are, are its contribution. And I really feel like just meeting my human needs of, of contribution, growth and love and connect. Actually, you meet everything. You meet significance. You meet uncertainty. <laughs> you know, five out of the six human needs, I just meet every single hour with every single client. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I might have like six, seven clients. I'm exhausted, but I've never been happier in my entire life. When you can impact another person's life, it's just truly special. Yeah, I, you're definitely uh, emanating that energy out. And I don't know if I can physically see it through Zoom here or not, but I can definitely <laughs> feel it. Um, Robert, this has been a fascinating conversation. I would love to keep the conversation going a little bit more uh, post this podcast um, and talk about, you know, maybe doing, going, going under the, the watch, so to speak. <laughs> I'd be honored to do that. I'd be honored to do that. It'd be fun. Um, you mentioned your book. If we could just do a quick plug for that. What's the name of your book? It's all Ratitude. Ratitude. Yeah. <laughs> As a, a little play off of the last name there. I got it. Where yeah, can I've people... been teaching Ratitude for, for, 30 years, I think, is that radical attitude that you can do anything in life. So even before I got into this stuff, I was already somehow channeling or something. I, I was coaching gratitude. Oh, I love and it. now I, I, I ended up at Pepperdine and I put a G in front of it and now it's gratitude. Of course. Yes. Uh, where can people go to either get the book or get in touch with you? Um, well, I've got a website, robertradnody.com. I've got radnodyhypnosis.com, um, or you can find me on Facebook. I'm there all the time, too. Fantastic. Robert, thank you again for your time. This was an awesome conversation. My pleasure. Best of success to you. Thank you.